Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello and welcome to the Healthy Herb Podcast, a place of information and inspiration for the home herbalist. I am Bridget Doherty of the Solidago School of Herbalism, coming to you from a bridged island on the coast of Maine. In today's show, I'm answering your questions, questions that listeners have sent in to me asking a variety of of topics relating to herbalism. Before we get started, I want you to know that I'm not a doctor, nor do I diagnose or treat people. What I share is based on my own experience and what I've learned from my mentors, including the plants themselves. Ultimately, I want you to be empowered in seeking and achieving your own version of optimum health. I want you to be inspired to connect and relate to the common plants that grow all around you. Together, let's make home herbalism be as common in the everyday household as cooking a healthy meal. Now, without further ado, let's have some fun and dig in. I have received a variety of questions from listeners, and I'd like to address some of them today. And the first one is a listener who is asking if I could talk about herbs that are known to help relieve stress and anxiety. And I would say, first of all, um, adaptogenic herbs are really beneficial in how they are able to help our body be more in homeostasis, more in a state of equilibrium. And when we're in that state, we become more resilient and more resistant to any side effects that stress may cause in the body. You know, stress is a natural aspect of life. You know, we wouldn't be human if we didn't experience stress. A lot of people will relate it to, you know, bridges and buildings and structures need stress to actually help them maintain their structure. And in some ways, I think that stress is important um, to maintain some of the functionings of our own body, but we don't want to be overly stressed all the time. We don't want to live in a state of chronic stress, and we want our bodies to be more able to withstand the stressors that we come in contact with on a daily basis. So adaptogenic herbs are herbs that can really help us to handle everyday stressors. And I would say that my favorite, one of my favorites, um, especially just for general daily maintenance, would be Tulsi or Holy Basil. It's a really tasty tea. Uh, It blends well with other herbs if you like to have other herbs that you work with. Um, And it also makes a really nice tincture. And just having a cup a day or a bit of a tincture a day, and then you can up that amount if you're in a lot of stress. I find it to be 
just a really wonderful herb. It's really helpful for very grounding and centering and really helping you to be in more of a, more easily get into a meditative state of being. So that's one of my favorite adaptogens. And then I would say oat straw nourishing herbal infusion would be the herb that I would choose for all around tonic support of the nervous system. So that if you're feeling, you know, frayed or agitated or exhausted or like you just can't handle one more thing at work that, you know, just like way over the top stressed or just nervous system depletion. Then oat straw nourishing herbal infusion. So just buy, go out and buy a pound of oat straw. It's relatively inexpensive. And it's basically the straw, the leaf and stem of the oat plant that you get oatmeal from. It's very high in minerals and nutrients. And it just really helps to calm and soothe and support and tone the nervous system overall, among other things. And... So I make a nourishing herbal infusion. I think it's the best way because it really ensures that you get enough plant material. So you really get the benefits of the herb. So you want to weigh out one ounce of the oat straw on a scale every time and put it in a quart jar and fill the jar with boiling water and let it sit for four hours at a minimum or, you know, up to 10 hours, put it in the fridge, strain it out either before or after you put it in the fridge. So usually if I don't, if I don't get around to straining my infusion after like eight hours, say if I make it at night, I wake up in the morning and I'm really rushed to get out the door or, you know, I just don't have the chance to strain out the infusion before I leave the house for the day. I'll just put it in the fridge and it pretty much has a vacuum seal that will last quite a while at this point because you put boiling hot water in a canning jar, a mason jar, and you screw the lid on tight. So it's, it really, as it cools, it vacuum seals. So it'll last quite a while. So sometimes I'll just throw it in the fridge and then I'll strain it when I get home. Once you open that jar, Oat straw is really high in protein. It's at least 20% protein. And so it will turn pretty quickly. Definitely within 24 hours, it'll start getting a little funky. And you'll know when it starts going bad, it will start to smell odd. And you'll just be like, mm, yeah, I don't think I'm going to drink this anymore. So you really want to drink that quart in a day. And, you know, maybe one to two quarts a week would be really beneficial um, if you really have some serious nervous system exhaustion or stress or strain. So you have your Tulsi or holy basil tea. There is an episode of the Healthier Podcast that talks all about Tulsi. I think it's down in the 30s, maybe, of episodes. And then oat straw. And then, so those are kind of your baseline nourishing, building, supporting herbs. And then there are the herbs that I like to have on hand in case of like extreme anxiety or just that like underlying feeling of anxiety or I drank too much coffee and now I feel like on edge and jittery kind of feeling. Or if you really have something very traumatic that has just happened to you recently, something that can help you get through the stress and anxiety of that that's a little bit more acute. Um, so one thing I love to have on hand is a motherwort tincture. So that's Leonorus cardiaca. And that's made from the fresh flowering tops of a motherwort plant. 
And it's just, it's perfect for, you know, if you feel an anxiety attack coming on, or if you just feel like you can't breathe, you know, you just are starting to have restricted breathing or um, really like repetitive thoughts that really put you in an anxious state, then I find taking, you know, a dropper full or even less of the motherwort tincture can be really helpful. Uh, you can just start with like half a dropper full and then put it right in a little bit of water or right in your mouth. And then um, if you don't feel any relief in like five minutes, then take a little bit more. I just, for me personally, it really, I just feel like, ah, you know, like I can just take that exhale and just be more in the moment and not feel the weight of the world crushing down on me. Um, And then lemon balm is another really nice herb. Both of these herbs are in the mint family, both motherwort and lemon balm, but they're really different mint family plants. Like motherwort is actually very bitter in flavor and very like the seed heads are very sharp around the flower. So it has this kind of edginess to it, I would say. This like protective mama bear quality to it where it's like, okay, well, you don't want to necessarily mess mess around with it. Um, and then the lemon balm for me is a little bit more like a like a joyful, gleeful child almost. It's very vibrant and um, very green and it smells sweet and it attracts honeybees and it's just really nice for taking the edge off or if you're like easily startled or if you're just kind of like on edge just in general. Maybe if you're a little too type A or just a little high strung, then I feel like the lemon balm can just kind of take it down a notch. And it's pleasant in a tea, but the volatile oils of lemon balm can really diminish very quickly. Again, it's like that vibrancy of it, but they kind of like just vibrate and then volatilize right out of the plant and then they aren't really there as much and it's those volatile oils that I think are really helpful so uh, tincture I think is really nice sometimes people use a glycerite of lemon balm if you really want to avoid alcohol I find that even for people who um, are recovering alcoholics and you don't want to have a lot of or any alcohol ingestion like a lot of times I feel like Oftentimes recovering alcoholics have some anxiety or tension that it's nice to have an herbal ally for. So the lemon balm can be really helpful there as well. I did do a podcast on lemon balm and you can check that out. And then also there might be one on motherwort. It's definitely in the herbs for moms um, I go into it. I don't know if I did a full podcast on it or not yet. And then another herb that I like to have on hand is kava kava. And kava kava is more of just like, um, you know, if you just want to be home and feel like if you just want to feel super chill, but not like totally sedated, but if you just want to be very relaxed and like have your whole body be relaxed, if if your anxiety or stress like really comes across in your the tension of your muscles, like the kava kava can just really help relax all of that and just kind of, or if the stress and anxiety comes from dealing with other people, like um, interpersonal relations, then kava kava, I feel like can also really help to relax those and to make personal communications go uh, a little more friendly and easier. So that you could do a tincture or a nourishing infusion of. And you'll know you sometimes the kava will make your tongue 
feel a little numb, a little numbing of the tongue or of the mouth in general. And so you know that you have a good quality going on with that. And I think what that's one of the few herbs that people are like, well, you know, check and see your sensitivity before you get in the car and drive somewhere or, you know, get behind a backhoe and start digging <laughs> or working around people. Not necessarily an herb for heavy machinery work. More of an herb for like sitting around and just chilling out. Or going and dancing at a party and being social. And then if you have a, like I feel like a lot of times our anxiety and stress can really affect digestion. And so if you feel like, you know, your stomach starts to cramp up or you just get really nauseous and not hungry due to a lot of stress and and anxiety, or if it just kind of manifests in your gut, if you have all these like, you know, gut feelings that things are not going well, then any plant that has these volatile oils that are in the mint family, like the lemon balm, can be really helpful in kind of easing and soothing um, the gut and the stomach. But, you know, even just a plain regular old peppermint or spearmint or anything in that realm can really just help to calm any spasms in the gut and just have a nice uplifting yet calming feel. You know, the Tulsi, interestingly enough, is also in the mint family. The mint family is a huge family, the Lamiaceae family, and a lot of plants in that family um, are going to have at least some effect on the nervous system. So play around with that family and herbs in them and see which one you resonate with the best or, you know, fairest uh, share a similar vibe vibration with. And then one other thing that I really like to think about when dealing with a lot of stress and anxiety or even depression um, or depressed feelings is really supporting the gut microbiome. So yes, we have these like gut feelings and these gut instincts and, you know, we can really, when we are really anxious and upset, then we can feel it in our gut as well. And it's interesting to think about how much of that could be the connection to the microbiome, to the actual bacteria and viruses and fungi that are living in our gut. I guess, I mean, viruses might not be living, but they are in residency, we'll say. But they, you know, these microbes, especially the bacteria, make a lot of our, like, hormones that help our feelings, our emotions, our brain chemistry to function and it's just we know just the very tip of the iceberg of this for sure is very new science that we're really just learning about but I mean these gut microbes make the majority of the serotonin that is that we use in our body and serotonin is that feel-good chemical right um they also can make a lot of estrogen for us and a lot of other really bad. There's a whole rabbit hole you can get into um, if you really want to explore that topic and the details of it. But even just knowing that a lot of these brain chemicals and chemicals that help us to feel certain ways a lot of them are actually created by the microbiome in our gut. So what can we do to support them? And one thing would be to avoid things that are going to kill them, like chlorinated water, essential oils, antibiotics, antibacterial soaps, um, 
and the like, and then also things that are going to feed them. So high fiber diets, especially diets that contain inulin or herbs that contain inulin, which are going to be, you know, burdock root, dandelion root, um, echinacea root. That's those roots that when you make tinctures of them, they get this like white powdery substance in the tincture. And that is the inulin. Sunchokes is another really good source of inulin. But in general, like complex carbohydrates, whole grains and root vegetables, well-cooked, well-cooked leafy greens that you're going to cook for an hour in a tiny amount of water. These are all going to be super beneficial for the health of your microbiome. And then also fermented foods. So yogurt, um, kefir, a little kombucha, apple cider vinegar, um, sauerkraut, lacto-fermented vegetables, whatever that beet beverage is. That's, oh, kvass. That's what it is. So really, and then the other thing is uh, that we're missing the most of as Americans that eat the standard American diet and live the standard American lifestyle is we're really lacking soil microbes which throughout our history and evolution, we have been very closely linked to the soil because that was how we would get our food, whether it was wild food or uh, produce that we grew on our own or that our neighborhood farmer would grow. And they would all have small amounts of dirt and the soil microbes still on them when they would be brought into the kitchen and dealt with and, and cooked. So plus not only that, but if you have your hands in the dirt as a lifestyle or a hobby in whatever way, and the dirt is healthy dirt, a good organic, healthy soil, then you, and you don't have an obsession with washing your hands and you eat with your hands on occasion, then you are getting small doses of that, um, those soil microbes. And that's really beneficial as well. And then breathing is the other thing that I would add to the mix of helping to relieve stress and anxiety. And it's not breathing in because that can actually be really hard to do, like when we're stressed, is to take a full breath in, but really focusing on the exhale. Pretend that you're blowing out birthday candles, or you just want to get all of the air out of your body. Just blow out every bit, and then the inhale will come automatic, and will come really easy, and will be a nice full inhale. But just the act of taking long, slow exhales can really help to get us into that parasympathetic, rest and digest state of being. Very quickly and in the moment. And the last thing in this realm with this question is that, you know, I had this um, woman that I worked for. It was, we worked in a natural health food store and it was also had a cafe to it and, and a little herb shop area. So it was, it was the local health food store back when those existed before Whole Foods. And it was a really nice, thing but she had a lot going on and plus you know you're dealing with all the customers and all of her staff and employees and she's just an amazing woman and uh, one of the biggest lessons I learned from her was the ability to surrender surrender to the chaos surrender to the flow 
And the more that we want to try to control our life and our world and our bodies and our reactions to the chaos. I mean, nature is chaos. It's unexpected. It's always changing. It's very complex and a lot of variety in every moment. And the more that we can surrender to it and go with the flow, the less stress and anxiety we will feel. So on that exhale, also picture, imagine, visualize, experience, and be a release, a release to the moment, a surrender to the moment, and a surrender to the flow. And see where it takes you. So another question, the next question I had was um, someone who was talking about how they really wanted to get into wild food, eating, you know, foraging for bits of wild food here and there, but it's hard um, in the wintertime because there's not a lot of obvious wild food around. So she was wondering if I had any suggestions as far as any wintertime wild food. And, and also uh, to touch on why eating wild food is beneficial. So two really easy wild foods that anyone can access, even in your local grocery store, but are still wild, is, and especially in the wintertime, they can be accessible, the first thing is um, frozen wild blueberries are often very accessible, if not in your major grocery store, in a health food store, uh, in the freezer section, or from your, well, I live in Maine, so I guess <laughs> from your local wild blueberry farmer. Is that an oxymoron, a wild blueberry farmer? Um but we do have them, wild blueberries that are harvested and cultivated, but still the wild blueberry variety. And then uh, seaweed. And seaweed is a wild food. It's, it can be um, aquacultured to some degree, like people are quote-unquote farming it, but it is still wild food. Um, and wildly grown. So that is also a food that you can easily find. That is also a food that you can easily find in most grocery stores these days, definitely any health food store. Or you could find some online. Uh, we have a great seaweed harvester that harvests right off of the island here, like about six miles off of the island where I live. And that's um, Atlantic Holdfast Seaweed Company, something along those lines. You could check them out. Um, and then there's so little bits of seaweed in your diet um, can also be beneficial. And I will be doing a seaweed podcast at some point down the line here. But even just if you're cooking up some beans, some dried beans in your crock pot, throw a piece of seaweed in there. I really like kombu or kelp for that. Um, nori, make some sushi wraps with some nori paper. You can uh, get seaweed sprinkles just to sprinkle on your food, or you could make a seaweed seasoning where you would maybe get some nice dulse, which is like the purple, uh, more tender seaweed. I think it's like one of the tastier ones. And you can toast it up on a cast iron fry pan on a low heat, like say same way you would toast some nuts or so. And you could toast some sesame seeds as well while you're at it. And then you could put those together in a grinder or a food processor to grind them up, to turn them into a little uh, sprinkle that you could add to your food. 
a furikake. It's like F-U-R-I-K-A-K-E, which is the Japanese seasoning, seaweed seasoning that they would add to food that's like very high in minerals as a nice additional wild food supplement. So those are two you can work with. And then you can start dreaming about spring, which is right around the corner here, doing a little bit of research, seeing what plants that maybe you've noticed that would make, that you know that grow around you already, that could make uh, nice wild greens to explore, like maybe what's in your own backyard. So some spring green uh, early foraged herbs that, you could look for would be stinging nettle leaves, chickweed, violet flowers. I, I like to save the leaf of violet harvest for more in the middle of the summer, but the flowers, the purple flowers are great to harvest in the spring. Your dandelion leaves, of course, classic spring green. Uh, yellow dock leaves, Rumex Crispus species is what I have growing around me. And in the spring, those leaves are nice and sweet and sour. They have a very lemony uh, flavor to them. Like it's like a wild sorrel, essentially. So you could put them in soups or they're really good in eggs. I find I often have to battle or I don't battle, but I have to share mine with the deer or let them grow within my fenced in vegetable garden and harvest them from that area because the deer really enjoy eating them as well. Sheep sorrel is really nice, or the wood sorrel, which are those little uh, shamrock-looking like leaves. And the sheep sorrel have like little leaves that look like whales. But both of those have, again, that very sour, uh, lemony, zesty flavor to them that make a really nice addition to... Uh, salad dressings or garnishes on a plate or added to your wild salad. So any of these greens could be either chopped up or um, maybe the nettle is nice to cook it or else you might get some tingly stinging in your mouth if you eat it super fresh. But the the chickweed, the violet flowers, dandelion leaves, yellow duck, sheep's are all, all that can be added to a salad, a spring salad that you would just put on top of a mescaline mix or whatever lettuce you like to use. And you might not get the minerals from those wild leaves, but you will be getting tiny amounts of soil microbes and the microbes from your own backyard. And that is going to really help the health of your own internal microbiome. And plus they taste good. They add some nice variety to your salads. So I'm going to take a little break. And then when we come back, I have a couple more questions to answer. I'm going to be answering questions about the wise woman tradition. And I was going to share a little bit about what herbs I've been working with lately um, this past week and how I worked with them for a common head cold for my daughter, for easing and getting rid of the head cold, I would say. So before we continue with the show, I wanted to talk a little bit about Noom. Noom uses the latest in behavioral science to empower people to take control of their health for good through a combination of psychology, technology, and human coaching on their platform to help millions of users meet their personal health and wellness goals. A lot of people face pressures to change themselves to fit other people's expectations, and the more freeing solution is to find things that work for you. Noom understands that everyone's weight loss journey is unique, and what works for someone else doesn't mean it'll work for you. That's why Noom's approach adapts to your lifestyle. It's flexible and focuses on progress, not perfection, allowing you to work toward goals at a pace that's comfortable for you. So start building better habits for healthier, long-term results. Sign up for your trial at Noom, 
noom.com slash believe. That's noom, N-O-O-M dot com slash believe. B-L-E-A-V. This episode is also brought to you in part by Way. Way is spelled O-U-A-I, and they are a skin care company. So for that dry winter skin, you can quench that skin and leave it feeling satin smooth with Way Melrose Place Body Cream. It's fast absorbing to nourish your skin when you need it most. It provides hydration that lasts and prevents dryness. It provides high quality nourishing ingredients that help to nourish your skin. Experience the new Way Melrose Place Body Cream and Body Cleanser, Your Body, Your Way. Go to T-H-E-O-U-A-I dot com and use code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, to get 15% off your entire purchase. That's 15% off your entire order at T-H-E-O-U-A-I dot com, code B-L-E-A-V. And now back to the show and back to your questions. So I had a question. Um, I notice you talk about the wise woman tradition quite a bit, and I'm wondering what that actually is. So there are three main traditions of healing. There is the scientific tradition, which is the current medical conventional model, which aims to measure and to fix. There is the heroic tradition, which is the common alternative medicine tradition. And that generally aims to cleanse and balance. And then there's the wise woman tradition, which is really the oldest tradition of healing. It's the kitchen herbalism uh, it's the grandmothers standing around the cauldron, and it really aims to nourish wholeness. So to talk a little bit about these, the scientific tradition is obviously the newest tradition of healing. And it has, you know, all of these traditions have a place. Um, the scientific tradition, you know, you see a healthcare provider, there's a lot of gatekeepers um, and licenses and highly trained and highly um, expert people in the field that are there to help you because this is like really high tech medicine. Um, And they will measure you. They'll take all of the measurements, they'll do all of the tests, they'll measure your weight, your height, your blood pressure, your cholesterol levels, your heartbeat, your everything that they can measure, they will measure. And they will look at, and sometimes they'll use tests that can cause harm to to measure and to put you within a range. And based on that range, they can determine whether you are healthy or you need to be fixed. And if you need to be fixed, they'll provide either uh, pharmaceuticals or um, surgery, usually, are the healing modalities that they go for um, so that they can fix you so that your numbers, your measurements will 
be back into the quote unquote normal and healthy range. Very simplified, obviously a very oversimplification of this whole tradition, but that is essentially what happens. In the heroic tradition, now this tradition is mm, relatively old, but really not that old. It's really, you know, maybe three or four or 5,000 years old. I would say Ayurveda um, is heroic and even traditional Chinese medicine as we know it is a heroic medicine. And the Western humoral tradition of medicine is very heroic. So the humoral, the humors, you know, are based on this concept that we have, um, you know, it's, there's four humors, I believe. It's like two types of bile, blood, and mucus. And depending on the health of those or the, too much of the them, then that is what breeds illness. And this really kind of came out of traditions that are, you know, from the, I really kind of think of them as stemming from like the 1600s, 14, 15, 1600s of like when people were, would bleed you, you know, to get rid of this like bad blood or they would um, may purge you and make you puke to get rid of the mucus or the bad bile. I think the bile is black and green bile or something to those degrees. I, I don't know. I don't really know that much about the humoral, um, the history of it. It's pretty fascinating. But what's really fascinating is how much residual of that tradition there is in current alt- quote-unquote alternative medicine and current herbalism. And we see it a lot in um, this whole idea of cleansing to reach balance. So a lot of times the heroic tradition, you know, sees humans as being impure, but wanting to be pure. You know, we're like dirty um, or we have a lot of waste or toxins um, or in us that we need to get out of us to find health, to find purity, and to find balance. And it's in a lot of the language and it's in a lot of the practices. So there's a lot of purging and puking still that happens in the heroic tradition. Not so much the puking, thankfully, but just this idea of get it out, get it out, and you will be no longer a dirty sinner. A lot of it also comes from um, Christianity, I think, and this idea of, you know, you have, you're sick because it's something that you did wrong, and you need to make amends. You need to change, you know, have really strict diet that you have to adhere to, strict po- protocols that you need to face. And once you, you know, obey and you go through all of these rules and hoops, then you will be cleansed and you will be pure and you will be healed. So that's kind of the underlying behind the heroic tradition. And so whereas the heroic tradition, you know, aims for it to cleanse and balance through this like purging and restricting um, of food and diet, the scientific tradition you know, measures and fixes and aims, kind of sees the body as a machine, 
you know, whereas the the heroic tradition sees the body as a dirty sinner, basically. And then there's the wise woman tradition, which is the oldest tradition, like I said, which really likes to see the body as as a whole being and that is usually doing what is the right thing that is like even in our illness, like the body is acting in a way that is right at that time, even though if it doesn't really feel right to us and we can work with improving our health through nourishment, nourishment of our all aspects of our being, nourishment of our wholeness. And I talked about that in last week's podcast episode. So if you want to hear more on that, you could check that out. But it really is comes from the, you know, I just really picture the mothers and the grandmothers at the hearth, in the kitchens, cooking good, healthy food, working with the local plants that grow right outside their door to help uh, improve the health and the overall well-being of the family and the community. And even though it says... wise woman. I mean, woman is an inclusive word. It includes woman and it also includes man. Man is in that word. So it's not exclusive to females. There are, you know, men that practice in the wise woman tradition as well. But I will say that I think it traditionally and culturally Um, It was the woman's place, and I feel like women can conceptualize it and understand it more because it's part of our inherent culture and the culture that has been passed on from generation to generation to generation of females and women. So the wise woman tradition like that name was originally coined by Susan Weed. The heroic tradition, they've always been called heroic. Um, But it was an old tradition. um, And the wise woman tradition being the oldest tradition is, you know, it might have that new name just as a way to describe it and talk about it. But it is what humans have been working with for health and healing since we have been working for health and healing from the very beginning. But if you really want to dive deep and learn more about the ins and outs and the perspectives and the paradigm shifts when you of entering into the wise woman tradition, then I would definitely check out um, the Susan Weed's book, especially the book Healing Wise, where she, she very poetically and eloquently talks about the three traditions of healing and, um, you know, how they differ. All right. Well, I wanted to um, just round out today's podcast, today's episode, by talking a little bit about how I've been working with herbs in my household uh, this past week and share my experiences with it just because I think that is really part of the wise woman tradition is, you know, working with the herbs for our families and our homes and ourselves, and then sharing our experiences with others so that um, we can all gain from each other's experiences and learn more. And then maybe it could help, we could help each other with our experiences. So Oh, my daughter, who's six, um, came, uh, started developing a head cold. And it's interesting because they just, in Maine, they just um, made mask masking optional. 
And in the school, they just, I think even just starting, it's been a week. So starting the middle of last week, masks became optional within the schools after a year and a half. My daughter has always had a mask since she started kindergarten and now in first grade, um, which is interesting. It, it's I feel like it's all this great experiment. But of course, now after being in a classroom uh, without the mask, I, of course, there's this you know head cold that <laughs> seems to be going around, which is fine. Like I think it's it's healthy for our immune system to have things to work on. And to fight and to learn about all these different viruses. Um, and, and she did get her COVID test, so it's definitely not COVID. But it, it was my, it was relatively minor, but she was, you know, feeling tired and had a little bit of a sore throat, which at first I thought it was just dry air from our wood stove and our heat, but it was bothering her. And then she got really congested in her nose, like to a really annoying degree. Like it was just, it was not a runny nose. It was just uh, congestion. And so um, what I, the three herbs that I've been working with, with her um, are, one was elderberry, of course, elderberry syrup. Uh, we've been going through a lot of that lately, but she loves the elderberry syrup now. It took her a while at first when she was really little. She didn't love it, but now, um, you know, just uh, homemade. It's just elderberries, honey, and water, basically. Elderberries simmered down and then until it's a really strong decoction and then mix that um, half and half with honey and keep it in the fridge and then I give it to her by the shot glass. So she'll take, she'll drink about a half ounce to an ounce, depending on how full I make the shot glass. And she'll either sip it, you know, she'll like, or she'll just down the whole thing in one, in one gulp, depending. And so I, I don't, not on like a strict regimen with it, but basically any time that she, I use it as a way to remember. So anytime that she has a snack or has food or asks for a drink, she, she can have any of those things, but she's going to have some elderberry along with it just as a way to remember. Cause sometimes we can have the remedies on hand, but then it's like, okay, well, like how do I get the frequency that I need into her? And so that's the first thing. And so the elderberry is just really great at preventing the virus from being able to replicate quickly. And it allows time for the immune system to work on um, eliminating the virus load that is already in the body instead of, you know, and to be hopefully be able to keep up with it so that the virus is not replicating faster than the immune system can deal with it. And then I made a pot of tea and I used goldenrod flowers and rosemary leaves. And so I did do two herbs. I know I generally like to be stick with the simples, um, but the goldenrod flowers that I had from this fall, I waited really late and harvested them really late this fall. And so they're really pretty bitter and you know, for her, I wanted to kind of counteract that flavor just more for compliance. Um, so the goldenrod, I find to be super effective for helping to uh, dry up like excess congestion. It's very astringent, very drying, and also supports the immune system. So sometimes it can be too drying. That's the one thing with goldenrod, but uh I just, I, I love it for just really helping the sinuses to not be super congested. But you have to drink a lot of it. You have to drink a lot of the tea for like a full day. And then I find that the next day, the congestion is way less. That's my personal experience with it, both for myself and for her. And then I also used rosemary leaves that have been dried. Uh, fresh would have maybe even be better, but I just had a lot of dried rosemary leaves that I needed to use up. 
And it's funny because I made the tea. So the, I made the tea. I basically had a teapot and it probably holds about mm, a quart, I would say, the teapot does. And so I took, um, I just put my hand in and I took like a, a, a handful of the loose goldenrod flowers um, and some leaves and stems and put that in the teapot. Um, I think I did that twice. Like I took two little grabs out of the bag, probably about a half a cup in total. And then I did the same with the rosemary. Maybe I did um, closer to a quarter cup of the rosemary leaves. And the rosemary is also very opening for the sinuses um, with those volatile oils, but also very antimicrobial as well, which was, and the it tastes a little better than the goldenrod. So that's why I put that in there. And I, so I gave her the tea. Oh, so I, put it in the pot and I let it steep with hot water for about 20 minutes or so. And then I poured a mug for her and I put a bunch of honey in it as well, which is really soothing for the sore throat and is some antimicrobial properties to it as well. And again, is excellent for compliance (laughs) for, for children as well for six, you know, as long as they're older than one or one and a half years of age and she loved it she she took a sip I wasn't really sure how how she'd like it because the goldenrod was so bitter but I think children are they can be so in tune as well like their body knows what it needs and wants and um so she she took a sip and she was like "Mm, this is good and she's like oh is this is this the flowers that I eat and I was kind of like, oh, does she eat goldenrod flowers? But then I was remembering I have this um, huge rosemary shrub that I overwinter inside. It's actually one of my clients, my garden landscape clients, rosemary plants. But I bring it inside for the winter. And she loves to like pick the beautiful purple flowers off of it and eat the flowers, which have a lot, very strong rosemary flavor to it, but also that sweet. And she was able to decipher that. I didn't tell her what was in the tea. And I was like, oh, she's tasting the rosemary and relating it to the purple flower, the rosemary flowers that she likes to eat. I was just very impressed with that. Um, And so, yeah, so she was all about that tea. And so how I was able to, again, work with giving her enough of it. So I had kept her home on Monday so that we could, I could just... She probably could have gone to school if she had to have, but I I wanted to get the COVID test and I you know without the masks like why spread more germs around and she, I just wanted her to really have a nice day of rest and a day that I could just put the tea and elderberries to her, which is harder to do when they're at school. So I took the day off from work, and uh, so anytime she has she sniffled, anytime she sniffled. She had to take a sip of tea. Anytime she had a little cough, she had to take an even bigger sip of tea. And so she then got into the habit that tea was always near her. And she got into the habit of anytime she sniffled, she knew she she would need to take a sip of the tea. Or, you know, even if I'd be in the kitchen washing dishes or doing something and she'd be chilling out in the living room and I'd hear a sniffle, I'd be like, did you take a sip of tea? And she'd be like, you know, I could tell she'd be like, I could hear her voice echoing into the mug as she was sipping it. Yes, mom. (laughs) But it works really well. And then I think it's great training for children as well um, because then they, she makes the correlation between, okay, this tea is, I'm taking it, I'm drinking it because I'm feeling this way. And then she can hopefully see the progression and, and how it's helping her. And it really also helps to teach the children to help t- to take care of themselves as well. So I think there's a lot of value in that. And I think that it was really helpful. She was able to go, we got the results back from the test the following morning, um, which was negative. So I knew that she could go to school. And I brought her to school. And, you know, she maybe had a little bit of sniffle, but it wasn't that like, 
so stuffy that she was miserable and the she didn't have a cough, you know, maybe a little bit when she'd wake up in the morning, um, I think from the night of accumulation. Um, but generally, and, you know, she's still a little sniffly, um, but it's, she was definitely able to go back to school and go to swim class and be back in her normal routine and still be functioning after a solid day of just really focusing on elderberry, goldenrod, and rosemary and rest. So that's so, and so then also I was also enjoying the elderberry myself because I don't want to get what she had um, and was drinking the tea along with her with without the honey in it. And um, when she at first had the sore throat, I had already had some linden infusion on hand. So she drank a lot of the linden blossom infusion, which is very soothing to mucous membranes and very cooling. And she also really likes the flavor of that as well. It's pretty sweet. And it's a traditional, you know, uh, cold and flu remedy in France and an immune support tea. So it's nice to always know that I always have linden on hand anyway, and I can make a nice, I can either make a tea of it if I need it immediately, or I can infuse it longer and make a nourishing infusion with it. And then it has the extra mucilage and extra therapeutic benefits, I think, to it as well. And then another herbal thing that I've been working with um, was hypericum tincture. So I, you know, I've been a little run down. I felt like my immune system was a little run down anyway. I've been working hard and burning the candle at both ends. And uh, so I was starting to get a little bit of canker sores in my mouth, which is always like a sign. Okay, Bridget, eat less sugar and rest more, (laughs) get more sleep, stop burning the candle at both ends. It's kind of like one of my red flags which I'm grateful for having. Again, that goes along with the wise woman tradition of like, okay, my body, like I can look at that canker sore instead of it being like this horrible thing that I have to fight and go to war at my body with or try to fix. Like I can be like, oh, thank you, body, for offering me the sign of like slow down, nourish yourself. It's time to take better care of yourself. Honor yourself. And so I'm able to do that, and I have uh, with my hypericum tincture, otherwise known as St. John's wort or St. Jones wort, I find is so quick and rapidly eliminates any sort of canker sore or cold sore, any sort of little herpes type of virus. Um, And so with the canker sore, I just would take a little bit um, pro- you know, again, I just use shot glasses for my dosing because I don't like to keep rubber dropper tops in my tincture bottles. So I would just pour like the tiniest bit at the bottom of um, a shot glass and then I fill it halfway with a little bit of water just so I get all the tincture out of the shot glass. And I just sip it, put it in my mouth, and I just hold it in my mouth. Um or I'll try to get direct contact, basically, and then swallow it. And um, I'll do that whenever, you know, multiple times in a day, and usually the next day, they're gone. Um, And so when I woke up this morning, and I was like, oh, I kind of feel like I might be getting what Isla, my daughter, is recovering from. So I made sure I took some extra elderberry syrup this morning. And I also, I was like, well, I have the hypericum here. So, which is also great antiviral, any kind of virus, it's really great effective against. So I took a bigger dose of the hypericum before I went off to work today. And um, I feel like that nipped it in the bud. And again, this is an herb that I have a wonderful relationship with and have been working with for years. And it's medicine that I have made 
And so I find that I don't need to take excessive amounts of it. Like it's, it becomes more like a cue or a key that my body can use that enhances my body's ability to do the healing on its own or to fight the infections or, you know, it's just, it becomes more of a reminder for the body than like an actual physical medicine, so to speak. I mean, it is a physical medicine and there is chemistry that is having an effect, but there's also another aspect to it where it is uh, more of a catalyst, I would say, for my own body's healing uh, abilities. So those are what we've been working with at the in my household the over the past week. And hey, if you're working with any herbs that you'd like to share your experiences with, I'd love to hear it. So reach out, um, send me an email, soladagoherbschool at gmail.com. If you have any questions that you'd want me to answer on a future podcast, feel free to ask those as well. And um, yeah, I would love to just, I mean, reach out to me on Instagram through the DMs. I or just say hi. Let me know you're out there. Leave a rating or review on iTunes. I would greatly appreciate it. Thanks for listening. I'm Bridget Doherty. Until next week, be well, let intuition guide you, and have fun with herbs. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube